Let's prepare our hearts together for God's Word with a a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do gather here together in your midst, realizing that we've gathered here to to worship you and to study your word. We, We pray that you would encourage us and open our hearts and minds open wide the doors of our of our hearts and minds to hear the truths and to understand the truths and to apply them to our lives. Father, we thank You for the, the powerful two-edged sword of Your Word. And we, we ask You to take the sword of Your Word and, and pierce our hearts and souls with it so that we would see Your truths and, and revere Your truths and honor You and obey You and, and live lives that are more and more Christ-like day by day. We ask for your help, your encouragement in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If uh, you took a survey on the street or you went to uh, some of your friends or family members, even people who uh, didn't go to church, you would ask them, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? What do you suppose the answer would be? Uh, Yeah? Yeah? Everybody's likely heard of the Ten Commandments, right? What if you asked them to name some of them? Would they be able to do that? Uh, Can we name the Ten Commandments? I'm not going to pull a quiz here this morning and make anybody. Uh, We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Most people, even people who who might say they are uh, unchurched, who don't go to church anywhere, they've heard of the Ten Commandments. We've also heard of and we're aware of the, the conflict and the disagreement over whether the Ten Commandments can be uh, displayed or even should be displayed in the, in the public school classroom or in courtrooms or in public places. Even many Christians get very serious about the need for society to take very seriously and obey the Ten Commandments. You know, we often hear a reasoning like this, that you know, the world would be a much better place if everybody would just live by the Ten Commandments. Can I ask you uh, to examine your own heart? Do you take God's commands seriously? You know, we want we want the world, even the unchurched world, to take seriously God's commands and to obey God's commands because the world would be a better place if people would obey the Ten Commandments. Would you agree with that? It would be, wouldn't it? But do you take God's commands seriously? I, I hope you do. I'm not saying you don't, but I hope you do. I hope you take God's Word very seriously. In our Sunday school opening each week, we, we recite together. Uh, we, we meet together at 10 a.m. and we recite together before we go to our separate classes some verses that we use to, to help us memorize God's Word. And these verses that we recite together, they're just intended to get us started in memorizing God's Word. So they're usually pretty short and easy for us to remember, but we want to encourage people to, to hide God's Word in their heart and to take God's Word very seriously and obey God's Word and realize that, that God's Word is a resource for life. He intends it to be so. Uh, this year, as a, as a matter of fact, we're learning one verse every month, and I hope that's not all we're learning. I hope others are going further than that one verse and memorizing God's Word. But these seed scriptures, we call them, we're taking them all one a month from Psalm 119 this year, and they're all about God's Word. God's 
sufficiency through His Word, His the necessity of His Word in our lives, and, and the necessity for us to obey them and heed them, and how God's Word can spare us heartache and disobedience. Uh, let me just go back through some of the verses that we've done this year. January was Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, here's the answer. By guarding it according to your Word. In February, it was Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see how God's Word helps guard us against sinning? March, Psalm 119, verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. Another Another name for God's Word. I will not forget your Word. In April, verse 17 in Psalm 119, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your Word. And then this month in May, verse 25, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your Word. And we've got a verse for every month this year reminding us of God's Word, the necessity of God's Word in the life of the believer God's Word is the method by which God speaks to us. You realize that? If you're waiting for God to speak to you, you better stop waiting and start reading God's Word because God's Word is how He has chosen to speak to us today. And so taking God's Word and His commands very seriously is important. Are you getting the picture how important it is for us to take God's Word and His commands very seriously? His Word truly does give us life. It helps guard our hearts from sin. I told you that that there is a if I told you that there is a commandment from God in his word that were you to keep it it would make keeping the 10 commandments unnecessary does that sound interesting if I told you there's a commandment from God in his word that were you to keep that one commandment it would make the 10 commandments unnecessary interesting isn't it have you thought about it before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Would you want to obey it if I told you what it was? Would you want to obey it? This, this one commandment will help you and in, in, in make the Ten Commandments unnecessary in your life. It ought to interest you in knowing what that commandment is. It's this commandment that John speaks of in our passage this morning. I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 2. And I want to look together at verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 7 and 8. That commandment I'm talking about is the one that John speaks of in these two verses. Let's go together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. I want you to follow along as I read. John says in verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, he says in verse 8, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, if you read those two verses closely, in reading that passage might bring some questions to mind, like number one is, does John have a split personality here or something? I write to you no new commandment, but on the other hand, it's a new commandment. What is this that he's talking about? Are there some questions that come to your mind as you read, the, read through a passage like this? Like, what is the old commandment, right? What's the old commandment he's talking about? What's the new commandment he speaks of in verse 8? How can it be an old commandment and a new commandment at the same time? How is darkness passing away? And how, 
And how is it that there's this light that John speaks of? What is this light that he's speaking of? And how is that light already shining? I'm sure you thought all those questions as I was reading those two verses, right? Well, those are questions I want to answer this morning. Those are questions that need to be answered. They're they're demanding to be answered from our passage this morning. And, And, well, maybe you didn't think of those questions if you had taken some time and read through that passage a few times and taken some time to to jot down some thoughts, you might have come up with some of those questions. And and I want to go and answer some of those questions this morning because those questions will help us see the importance of the command that John is talking about. And if we will obey this command, it makes all other commands in the Bible easily obeyable. These are questions that, that need to be answered. What's the old commandment? What's the new commandment? And how is it that the old and the new can be the same? Or what do they have to do with each other? And how is this darkness passing away? And what is the true light that John speaks of? And and how is light already shining? Now before you call me a heretic for saying that there's one command in God's Word that if you obey it, you won't need to worry about the Ten Commandments. I want you to just listen for a few moments, would you? And follow along with me as we go through this passage. I want you to look with me again at verse 7. John says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So the first question, what is the old commandment? What is this old commandment that they had from the beginning? That John speaks of. What is the commandment that is the word that they have heard? Well, it's interesting that John actually speaks of it in, in 2 John. You can keep your finger here in 1 John and flip over just a few pages in your New Testament to 2 John and verse 5. 2 John, verse 5. John says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. And what is that commandment? That we, what is it? Love one another. You see it? Go back to 1 John chapter 3. Just back a couple of pages probably in your New Testament. He also speaks of it later in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should, and I want you to say it with me, love one another. So John is speaking of the commandment to love one another, right? Love one another. Now where did that come from? Because he said this is no new commandment. It's an old commandment. Where did that come from? John says you've heard it from the beginning. So what's he pointing to? Well, we find what he's pointing to in Leviticus. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Leviticus chapter 19 from the Old Testament in verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So John says, he says, hey, uh, get ready. This isn't a new commandment. What I'm going to tell you, this is an old commandment to love one another. You've heard this from the beginning. But then wait a minute, comes verse 8. What's he talking about in verse 8? He says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. 
So what's going on, John? When you go to McDonald's, do you get two straws for each of your personalities here? What do you do? So, John, this is different. What do you mean this is different? It's, it's an old commandment. It's a new commandment. It's, it's the same, but it's different. This is confusing. It's, it's, a, it's a new commandment, but then at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's an old commandment. So what's going on here, John? This is uh, puzzling. So the question is, what's, I want to answer this. What's the new commandment? We know what the old commandment is. What's the new commandment? Here's the challenge. And here's why we might be confused if we just look at those two verses and don't think about the original meaning behind the words that are translated into English. We need to understand the meaning of the word new. And John uses the word new here, and you need to understand what new means. And you're thinking, okay, doesn't new mean new? You know, like what's the definition of the word is? is right? Doesn't new mean new? Well, uh, the, the, the New Testament in the Greek... The Greek word used for new means, and it means something different than what we might take it to mean. It means new in quality, not new in time. In the Greek, it has to do with with replacing something that's worn out. And John is saying that it's not that you've never heard this before. You've heard this before. It's not a new commandment. And I like, as Warren Wiersbe notes, he says, "It it is new in emphasis. It's not new in time. It's new in emphasis. Wiersbe says it's not simply one of the commandments. No, it stands at the top of the list. So new in emphasis. So what's this new commandment that's an old commandment that is now placed ahead of all the other commandments? I want you to go with me. We're going to move around a little bit in the New Testament this morning. Go with me for a moment to the Gospel of John toward the beginning of your New Testament, the Gospel of John in chapter 13. We know that the new commandment, we know what it is, because Jesus Himself calls it new, a new commandment in John chapter 13. We know the old commandment, now we're going to learn what the new commandment is. And, and I think you'll understand why it can be considered new, and yet it's just as, the same as the old commandment at the same time. And so we won't, we'll realize that Paul doesn't have a split personality here. John chapter 13, go to verses 34 and 35. Jesus Himself calls this a new commandment. John chapter 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then get ready. Here's the part that makes it new. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. And in the teaching of Jesus, we see why this is an old commandment made new. New in emphasis, new in importance. It's new because now there's an example. Jesus says, As I have loved you. That's how you're to love one another. Now we have an example. It's, it comes with an example now. Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. This is an old commandment made new because now we have an example to follow and we have a new motive. The motive pointed to by Jesus is that others will know we're Christ's disciples if we love one another as Jesus loved us. It's an old commandment made new because we have this new example 
And Jesus says it again in John 15. Go to John 15, just a couple of chapters from where you're at in John 13. Verse 12, John 15, verse 12, Jesus says, This is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now what Jesus did was actually combine two Old Testament commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And Leviticus 19.18, which I noted earlier, which says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the commandment to love was old. Love one another. That was an old commandment. It was always part of God's Word. But it's also new, based on a new example, a new motive. We have the, the example of Jesus Christ. And we have the motive of making it known that we are part of the fellowship of Jesus Christ, that we are His children. We're to love one another just as Jesus loved us, which makes me ask, what kind of love are we talking about here? Because, you know, the world is confused about love. And we might be confused about love too if we're not careful, which, which uh, I want to remind you that tonight we're going to come back to one of these passages here and, and talk about what is love, a biblical definition of love. But we're not going to take the time to do that right now. But I do want you to think about about it with me for just a few moments because we need to understand what, what we're talking about. What kind of love are we talking about? What does the word love mean? What's the definition of love? Ask around. Again, ask your neighbors. Ask your coworkers, your your family members. Ask people. Tell me. Uh, define love. What does love mean? And you'll get answers like, well, love is when you do nice things for others. Or love is giving nice things to my children. Or it's Mother's Day. Uh, do, doing nice things for my mother. <laughs> or obeying my mother. Or like my mom always told me, just be good. Um, mom, can I give you something else? You know, Is there something else I can do? Love is just being good. Somebody might say, being good, that's love for, for those who, who uh, maybe who are my parents or my spouse, being good to them. Some would say love is, is not really an action. Some would say love is a feeling. And as a feeling, love is something you can fall in and out of. You see why we need to define love? And we need a biblical definition of love? We're going to talk about the biblical definition of love tonight, but I want to briefly touch on it right now because those are likely all, maybe not all the answers you would hear, but those are the kinds of answers you would hear when you go to talk to people about what love is. Define love for me. Those are the kinds of answers that you would get. I'm also guessing that you won't often hear the answer that we find most in God's Word. My guess is that you will likely not hear what Jesus had in mind when He, when he said in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. You're not going to hear, most likely, the kind of definition that Jesus is talking about here. Did Jesus mean here that we are to feel warm and fuzzy feelings about one another? Is that how Jesus loves us? That He just felt some warm and fuzzy feelings for us? Absolutely not. And I'm thankful that that's not where His love stopped. Did Jesus mean that we are to do nice things for each other? And did, did Jesus merely do nice things for us? <laughs> no, He didn't merely just do nice things for us. What do we know about the love that we're talking about from God's Word? What do we know about love from God's Word? Well, first of all, we know that Jesus put a very high priority on love. When He said in Matthew chapter 22, in a passage you may be familiar with, in verses 37 and following, 
Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's where we get the little phrase that you see on the wall when you come and go in the, in the entryway, loving God, loving people. That's where that phrase comes from. Love God with everything you have and love people. Love others. We print that on things to help remind ourselves that that's what we ought to be as a church. We, we publish that on things so that people will know that's what we're supposed to be as a church. That's what we're holding ourselves accountable to, God's Word, and loving God with everything we have and loving people like we already love ourselves. And we need those reminders. Love God. Love others. Love one another. Love, love like Christ. God puts a high emphasis on the importance of loving one another and loving God with everything that we have. And the message and the theme of Christianity can really be summed up in a very simple statement. Love one another. That's what we're to be doing. Loving one another. We do that for God's glory. We do that so people in this community will realize they are God's children. They are really believers in Jesus Christ. And that means something because they really do love each other. So back to the question, what what kind of love are we talking about here? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the Greek word philia, which is the friendship kind of love, the brotherly kind of love. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not the other Greek word for sensual love, eros, which, interestingly enough, is not even used in the New Testament. The Greek word that's used here for this kind of love as we look at the New Testament and how it describes the kind of love that Jesus has for us and the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another is agape love. You've heard that before, right? Agape, which is the kind of love that God has for mankind. It's the kind of love that... God has for His church and the kind of love that God's children are to have for one another. Agape love. So the kind of love that we're to have for one another is this agape love. So what do we know from God's Word about this agape love that Jesus has for us and Jesus has for His church and His children are to have for one another? And we need to know because we're to love like Jesus loved us, right? What do we know about this kind of love? Well, go with me to Romans chapter 5, would you? Romans chapter 5. We're to love as Jesus loved us. So how is that? How did He love us? What would define God's love for us? And I think we find something very helpful in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that helps us understand how much God loves us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, look at it with me. It reminds us that Jesus wasn't just waiting around for us to clean up our act before He loved us. Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is agape love? It's the kind of love that says, you're a sinner and you haven't done anything to repent and turn, and yet I'm going to sacrifice my life for you anyway. So Jesus' love for us is demonstrated by the fact that He loves us in spite of the fact that we were still sinners when He died for us. But his love goes even further than that. Look at verse 10, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, not just sinners, but enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, 
Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So secondly, while we were, his, uh, we were sinners, we were also His enemies. Fighting against God. Sinners and enemies against God. And what did He do? Did He wait for us to become His allies? Uh-uh. He went to the cross for us in spite of it all. We weren't merely sinners disobeying and do, doing lawless deeds. We were His enemies, and in spite of it all, He loved us. That's the kind of love that helps us understand what agape love is. So, what does that say about how we're supposed to love one another? You getting the picture? How we're to love one another? Well, we're to love others in the same way that Jesus loves us, right? That might be a problem for us. Would that be a problem for us if, if we struggle with other people? And in our way of thinking, there are those, and maybe names come to mind or faces come to mind, when you begin to think this way, in our way of human thinking, there are, are, there are people who do not deserve our love. You ever find yourself thinking that? Maybe not intentionally thinking that, but do you find yourself treating people that way? That mm, they haven't quite earned my love yet. They haven't quite done things the way that they ought to to earn my love. You know what it means? It means loving the one who has wronged you. It's easy to love the people who love you back. It's easy to love the people who give you nice things and do nice things for you and treat you with respect and honor you. It's easy to love people like that, isn't it? You know what Jesus did? He loved those who were His enemies. He loved those who were sinning against Him. And that's what it means for His followers, that we love one another in the way that Jesus loves us. It means loving the One who has wronged you just like Christ loved you when you were wronging Him. Right? Loving those who sin against us just as God loves us when we were sinning against Him. Loving those who are our enemies. I hope you don't have any enemies, but there might be some people who treat you like they're your enemy. And you're to love them in spite of it. Sounds hard, doesn't it? It almost sounds impossible, but it's not. For the believer who's walking in the light, remember 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, for the believer who's walking in the light, which means living in obedience to God's Word, it is possible. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. Can we go back to 1 John now? 1 John chapter 2. I want you to see verse 8 again. Because in verse 8, we find great hope for those who are beginning to realize that they need to love others as Jesus loves them. In spite of their fighting against Him, in spite of their sin, in spite of the fact that they were enemies against God, He loved us. And He gave Himself for us. And we begin to get a picture of what the kind of love is that we need to show toward one another. And verse 8 brings a lot of hope to the scene for me. Look at verse 8. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is, it says, true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's possible for us to love those whom we think don't deserve our love. Because if we're walking in the light as Jesus is in the light, darkness is passing away. 
Sin and disobedience and rebellion is becoming a thing of the past. I'm not saying it's totally gone. We struggle with sin, don't we? If there's anything we've learned in in 1 John chapter 2, we've learned that we still struggle with sin. But we have hope, don't we? Sin and disobedience and rebellion are passing away when we walk in the light, when we walk in obedience to God's Word. And for those who are walking in the light, walking and living in obedience to God's Word, it is possible to love those who consider you their enemy. It is possible to love those who have done you harm. It is possible to love those who sin against you. Because that describes us in our initial relationship with God. Sinners, enemies, wrongdoers, harmful toward God, rebelling against God. So what's the true light? There's hope in the true light. And I need to remind you, if you haven't been here for other studies, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. In Him is what? Absolutely no darkness at all. No sin. Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is is right. Jesus is sinless. There is absolutely no darkness in Jesus. So Jesus is light. And He is the true light. He is the standard by which everything is determined to be true or untrue. Righteousness or sinfulness. And the one who is walking in the light has Jesus living through him or her to love one another just as Jesus loved us. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you have Jesus working in you and through you to help you love those who consider you their enemy, to help you love those who have sinned against you. And the believer that loves others just as Jesus loves them need not be concerned with whether they're keeping the Ten Commandments or not because their love will compel them to have no other God but the God. And their love will compel them to put God's will ahead of their own, as Jesus did when He allowed Himself to be taken to the cross. And that person who's walking in the light in obedience to God, they'll have no one or no thing in the place of God in their lives. Their love in the example of Christ will compel them to to honor father and mother. Their love in the example of Jesus Christ will compel them to love their brother and sister and neighbor. They will not hate. They will not commit adultery. They will not steal. They will not lie. And they will not covet what others have if they love as Jesus loved. You see how obeying one command makes all the others unnecessary? Remember, Jesus gives this new commandment in John fifteen twelve that you love one another as I have loved you. And when you walk in the light, when you walk in obedience to God's Word, when you walk in the example of Christ, you will be living in that true light, that true light of Jesus Christ shining through your life, enabling you, empowering you, equipping you. We need to be equipped, don't we? 
because we find it so hard to love one another as we should, as Jesus loved us. But when we live in the light, with the power of Christ at work in us, it's possible to love one another as I have loved you, as Christ says. Enabling, empowering, and equipping. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us when we yield to God and His Word. May it be true of us. May it be true of us that we truly love one another as Jesus Christ loved us. May it be very true of us that people will know we are followers of Jesus Christ because of our example. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you this morning. I pray that it would be very true of each person here that we would yield before you, that we would humble ourselves before you, O Lord, so that you could lift us up. Lord, help us to bring you great glory and honor in the way that we love one another. Help us to use the example of Jesus Christ. Help us to live by the example of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to realize that we have a very special opportunity to influence the world in which we live with the love of Jesus Christ by our example and how we love one another. And we have the standard. The standard is set very high for us, Lord, but we know that you've given us your Holy Spirit, and so we take great hope and joy in knowing that darkness is passing away when we walk in the light. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the light daily. Help us to be in your word. Help us to yield to you and your Holy Spirit. Help us to pray and ask for your help. Lord, use us for your glory to show the world the true light of life in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there are unbelievers with us this morning, that they would realize their need for you. That they would realize that they're they're the one who's fighting against you. They're, They're your enemy and they're sinners. Lord, help them to understand that they need to confess their sin and turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith, believing in Jesus Christ for his finished work on the cross to save them from their sins. Father, use us in our community. Use us in this church to build one another up and encourage one another and then take us from this place today and into the week ahead and embolden us and encourage us to live like no one else, to live not like the world but like Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.